This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to the No Near Never podcast, I'm Jamie Smith, and with me tonight are Jordan James and Adam Mike Poppin, and Robbie as well, Adam was filling in for me last week, so thanks for that before we get started. Unfortunately, Burnley were relegated at the weekend, but there was a goal for us to talk about, which is an extremely positive start, I'm not sure even how to react to, to Burnley scoring a goal, but a 1-0 win at Hull was not enough to save due to results elsewhere. Newcastle, Villa and Leicester all picked up points, so Burnley staying in the Premier League is over after just one season. Um, we'll start with the whole game then, but there's plenty to talk about as usual on the podcast. We'll start with you, Jordan. It was too little too late really, I suppose, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a shame. Um, obviously, we ended our long barren run without a goal, um, and then when it did come, it was ultimately too late. Um, I thought it was a typical six-pointer, really. Um, I thought when we took the lead around the hour mark, um, Hull Row was going to uh, pile men forward in those last few minutes and, and try and salvage something from the game, but um, I thought it was a decent level of performance. Um, certainly an improvement on perhaps recent weeks, although I've said that the teams we've played have obviously been been uh, more difficult to play against. But, um, yeah, just a case of too little too late. I think if this result had come come round maybe three, four, five weeks ago, we'd, uh, we'd obviously be a lot more optimistic. But um, I think we created a few chances. Um, they obviously hit the bar twice, so, you know, I guess we can have a bit, you know, take uh, comfort from the fact we had a bit of luck in that respect. Um, I thought the goal was an interesting one. I mean, uh, I'd like to class it as scoring from a corner. It, it more or less was. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because, um, uh, yeah, um, Hull's defending wasn't the best, obviously. And then Danny Ings showed really good reflexes to, to steer it in and to say it's been so long since either Burnley or Ings has scored. Um, it was a well-taken finish. And, um, you know, the celebrations were obviously emphatic, but uh, ultimately they're in vain. It's it's funny you mentioned luck, actually. I think it was maybe one of those games where it was quite even. They hit the bar twice. I thought we could have had two penalties on Ains, one where he was pulled back and one where he, he went, seemed to get brought down by two players when he ran into the box. But the goal came when Dawson was off changing his shirt because Ashley Barnes had bloodied his nose. So, yeah, a bit of an even one in that respect. Um, Robbie, you were at Hull, unfortunately, at <laughs> the weekend. What did you make of the game? I thought we played really well. Um, like, it's like Jordan said, it was a little 
too little too late. But I, I think that the fact that we pretty much got relegated last week, we went into this game with absolutely no pressure on us. Um, and the Danny Ings goal were fantastic. And I think I think we were already actually the better team on the, on the day as well. And people who say Danny Ings has no commitment, you look at his celebration on Saturday and he's fully committed to this club. The, the fans were magnificent again, from what I could hear. And it's, it, I think, I think it was telling that the, the mood was defiant. Is that, is that a fair way to assess it? What was the, the feeling in the away end? Um, it, it didn't seem as if we're in a relegate in a relegation scrap at all. It's, it, it seems as if everybody kind of knew our fate, and no, I, I, I was never really checking any other any other score lines or anything. But even when the full time whistle went, it never really felt as if we'd been relegated because we just went down with so much pride and dignity and we were so proud that we finally scored. It's a typical Premier League cliche, isn't it, to have fans crying when the team goes down, but I'm glad there was none of that. I think there's, there's no need for tears, but we'll, we'll come on to the wider implications of relegation a little bit later. James, if we can bring you in, um, maybe if we'd defended like that all season, we'd have, we'd have stayed up. What do you reckon? Um, I don't know. I've, I've Obviously just that we managed to score a goal. Yeah, I've only really seen highlights and it was a strange one because I think if you look at a lot of our games recently and you look at the highlights from that, I don't think other teams have really come close to scoring, you know, particularly often. Um, but Hull hit the woodwork, well, twice at least in the highlights. Um, so you'd actually say probably this is the game where we eventually got maybe a little bit of luck and um, obviously scoring, well, it's not the most uh, you know, fantastic of goals, but I think after you've gone so long without one, you would have taken it hitting Danny Ings' face on the line, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it, it was quite well made, actually. Obviously, Dawson was off, which helped our cause. I'm not sure we would have scored that goal with Dawson. Yeah, but I think it ended up being... We managed to keep the ball alive, and I thought that was really impressive. Yeah, but it ended up being one of those sort of scrappy ones where, you know, the first chance didn't didn't come off, and it's it's dropped loose, and someone's just swung a boot at it and you know, put it home, but... We would have taken a few of those in the nil-nils and, and whatnot we've had this season. Danny Ings celebration, Robbie's already touched on it a little bit. We've we've heard a lot about Danny Ings recently and there's a couple of pieces on the site, Robbie wrote one of them, about um, Danny Ings and his level of commitment and how he feels about the club. I felt it was absolutely indicative of his passion for Burnley football. Yeah, to be honest, I've, I've personally never doubted it. Um, I know a lot of people have, you know, but I've, I've from the games I've seen... And you know, I've seen quite a few. He's, he's been putting in the the work rate, um, and I think at times it almost seems like he tries to do too much. You know, he tries to he tries to force it, and he tries to be, you know, the the one man savior that we maybe needed. But um, it, I don't think you could ever really doubt his commitment um, to the team, and obviously the celebration definitely showed that because the, you know the, you could see the passion. We've actually got both. Both writers who've, who've done pieces for the site about Ings and his commitment. Um, Jordan, if we come to you first, did that celebration say it all for you? And his post-match comments as well, the interview on match of the day after the game, it just seemed like he was absolutely devastated. He seemed like one of us. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's helped that he's been with us um, since he was relatively young, obviously 18, 19 when he joined us. So it, it feels like he's sort of um, become one of our own and grown up through our academy rather than coming from Bournemouth. Um, I think his attitude all season um, has been been first class, really first rate. I mean, you know, I've seen him tracking back and trying to, um, you know, be in possession back when he's lost it. As James said, I think he's prone to perhaps doing too much, but 
Um, you know, it's frustrate the frustration he shows when he perhaps misses a chance or makes a wrong decision is, uh, as you said, indicative of um, what the club means to him. Um, and it was interesting. I was speaking to someone earlier today after uh, my piece went online, um, and they said they hope that sort of the the social media, um, not abuse as such, but sort of uh, comments that some of the comments he's had over social media this yeah. season. Yeah. Um, they were hoping that it wouldn't sort of sour his opinion uh, of the club, and I don't think it will because I think generally the majority of supporters have been really behind him, um, and I think that came across in in those post-match comments yesterday. But um, I can sort of understand, you know, uh, the minority of fans who maybe you know question um, his commitment, particularly after that Sunderland game at the back end of January, where Dutch admitted uh, that the uh, flight to Spain to meet David Moyes had affected him. Um, but yeah, those comments and I think the celebration yesterday just wheeling away in, in sheer excess. Uh, as I said, it was in vain. But um, you know, I think we've left a, a pretty big impact on him. We've, we've watched him develop and he's grown uh, playing for Burnley Football Club. And I think wherever he goes, um, he'll uh, he'll do well. I think we've, we've got to remember that how far Ings has come since signing for the club. I mean, when he came, he was what nineteen years old. He played a handful of games at, at League One level. I think it was, wasn't it? and scored a few goals, but he was really a complete unknown. We took a punt on him. He had a lot of injuries, finally got his chance in the team and took advantage last season when he had a real run inside with Austin gone. So I think fans have to remember, really, that in his last year, 18 months at the club, he's turned from a very raw talent into, with no hyperbole, what I think is one of the, the best young strikers in the country. And I think the club has played a large role in that, in the development of Inks, and I think that should be recognised. And hopefully he'll... He'll remember the club later in his career. Robbie, you wrote a piece on the site as well about Ings and his commitment. What's what are your thoughts on the whole situation? It's pretty inevitable that he's going to go, but at least he managed to break that goal right at the weekend. Yeah, I, mean, I think everyone connected with the club will say that he's going to leave. Um, but the, the whole commitment thing was just—I don't understand how people would expect him to stay. You know, why, why would he stay at a, a below-average team like us when a team like you look at the stature of Liverpool and he's been linked with Manchester United and. I don't understand why he wants to even commit to a club like us when he can better himself at a much bigger club well, who are out there and, and interested in him. Listen, yeah, I think fans expect a lot, and I think in, in particular with Ings because he's he achieved so much last season and exceeded all expectations. I think people just expect him to, to start scoring every game. He scored 10, and I think for a 22-year-old playing in, the first, playing in the Premier League for the first time, I think that was a very good return. But he has missed some chances, but... In fairness, if it wasn't for him scoring those goals, we'd have probably been relegated a good few weeks ago. So I think that's that's important to recognise. Um, like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we were relegated as a result of results at the weekend. One of the most interesting things that came out of the game was actually Sean Dyche's post-match comments. We don't normally talk about Dyche's comments to the press because they're not normally newsworthy, to be honest. But they were this time. They were non-committal at best. They're the selection of the things he wants to say. Um, when asked about his future, he said, make no mistake, I want to be in the Premier League, so there is disappointment and frustration, but next season is for other thoughts after the next few games. He also said, there is a desire for me to get through today and see my family and make sense of everything. For the moment, my thoughts are for my players. There will be a time to think about the bigger picture, but my immediate gut feeling is that you want to work and progress and learn. Wherever it takes you, who knows, but for the moment, I am Burnley manager and that's all I am thinking about. But for the moment, I am Burnley manager. James, what do you make of those comments? Um, I think, like you said, it's it's very non-committal. But um, you know, I don't think he's you know he's he's leaving his options open. And to be honest, I think that's fair. Um, 
I think everyone remembers obviously Owen Coyle sort of categorically stating he was going nowhere and then leaving. Um, so I'd rather, to be honest, uh, the manager didn't really comment on it, which is sort of what he's done here. Um, you know, he's done a lot for us, and if he feels that this is the you know the right time to look at other offers, and um, that's fair enough. But I, you know, I don't think he'd go if there wasn't someone um, you know interested. There are there are some parallels. I think you're right to mention Coyle. The thing about going to see his family, of course, Coyle famously went to see his family and didn't come back. So there's that obvious <laughs> comparison. Um, yeah, no. Um, I think I think with Dyke, obviously, he, he talks about his family quite a lot, and um, obviously, we, I know we don't mention his comments often, so it probably doesn't come up. But he just talks about his family quite a lot, and obviously, his family don't uh, stay with him during the week in the Burnley area, so. He, he, he mentioned talking about his family I think as well when we got promoted so it's clearly something that he, he likes to go spend time with them when something's happened major in in the football side because I know he does talk as well about keeping them separate and you know if it's not going well at, at the football club he's not going to take that home to his family so um, you know I think obviously it's, it's probably you know a tough moment for him you know he's gone through a promotion this is the first time he's had to cope with relegation as a manager so um, obviously, having never been a manager, I can't say what that would feel like, but I'd imagine it's probably not you know, the nicest feeling because even though everyone would have thought we were you know, battling relegation all season, I think he'll still probably see it as a failure himself. This is it. I mean, he's been positive throughout the season, hasn't he? And very level-headed, unlike some of the other managers, particularly Nigel Pearson, who's obviously made regular headlines with some rather strange comments. Um, yeah, to be honest, I'd rather we were talking about these kind of comments rather than the kind that Nigel Pearson well, comes out. Yeah, um, I don't want to read too much into these quotes because I think it it's it's fair to give Dash the time to go away and think about things and decompress and um, try and sum up how he feels about the season as a whole. But um, John, are the comments not similar to the sort of things Danny Ings has been saying all season, only to get pelters off the fans for it? Yeah, um, the I think the the comments are certainly interesting, and, and those two, Darch and, and Dannings, have been subject to, well, Dannings mainly has been subject to to um, rumored interest from elsewhere. I think Darch might have had a few sort of envious glances from clubs in a similar position to us when we were doing relatively well in the Premier League earlier in the season. Um, but I think you know personally, this was always going to. Um, be a difficult sort of thing to contend with the the uh, possibility of Darch leaving. Um, I think uh, Darch and Burnley Football Club are a good match for each other because you know let's not forget he's still quite a young manager. I think he's only early forties. Um, I think this is his third or fourth full season in management. So you know I guess that our, uh, ourselves, Burnley Football Club and Darch are sort of still learning in terms of the Premier League. Um, of course, and he's still learning as a manager. And I think this season's perhaps taught him a few a uh, few things about how to handle press. Um, I thought he handled the the Barnes and Matic incident admirably earlier on in the season um, about formation substitutions. So I mean, um, like I said, I think we're a good fit for each other. But um, yeah, I think you know it, it's difficult. I mean, if he did go, I don't. I can only imagine the fans would give him you know a, re- a sort of really good um, reception if you will, a really good. Um, Send off because I mean he's, he's done brilliantly for this football club and you know he says when he came in two and a half years ago that now where the club is it's in a much better state financially and in terms of the facilities you know behind the scenes as well so and of course in playing staff so um, yeah it'd be interesting I can't really sort of imagine where we'd where we'd go from Dash but it it 
you know, there's every chance it could happen this summer. But um, yeah, as we've said, I think it's fair that we sort of let him um, sort of uh, come away and detach himself from from football for a bit. Uh, but the close season will be interesting, that's for sure. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's maybe not fair to speculate on potential replacements for Dash at this stage. I know there's been some talk on social media and also a bit on the site as well. But um, while he's Burnley manager, we should maybe just uh, put that to one side. That's perhaps the best thing to do. Um, Robbie, if we could bring you back in, what are your thoughts on the whole Dash situation? Do you think he's, as James says, just leaving these options open? Do you think there's a, a serious risk that he might leave the club in the summer? But do you think that Burnley would even consent consider uh, letting him go or, or even sacking him? Uh, I don't think we'll sack him, but I think the, the board have got to understand that Dash may want to leave. We can't just reject any approaches approaches for him if he wants to leave. Um uh, you look at I'm trying to think of clubs who might be actually looking at him you look at you think about Derby County and their situation with McLaren at the moment I think if if that job vacancy became available I think he'd I think he'd take it he's a much bigger club a bigger budget and I think a more ambitious board as well it's it's tricky isn't it I mean my view and I wasn't on the podcast last week but I think um, Adam summed up what I'd said on Twitter I don't think it would actually be a disaster if you left I think when a team gets relegated, it's very difficult for the same manager to then turn a team that's lost most of its games into one that wins most of its games. Even if the squad was much the same, I think it was such an incredible achievement for us to get promoted. It'd be tough to, to replicate that. So some fresh ideas, maybe some some new approaches to tactics and stuff. I don't think it would be necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, there's a risk when you change manager. It could go wrong, but it could go right. You never know. Sometimes things just work out. Um James, in terms of Premier League clubs, has Dash done enough to, to warrant attention or is it clubs like Derby, like Robbie said, that we've got to be wary of? I really can't see him at Derby. Um, I just I don't see it as a fit for him. Um, you know, the, the type of person he seems to be, I, just don't, I can't really see Derby as his club. But then again, I didn't really used to not like Derby until I met some of their fans on Twitter, so maybe that's why I think that the club's not really a good fit for him. I think one of the links is that his family's based in the Midlands, isn't it? So any job that might come up in the Midlands. Yeah, I mean anything in the Midlands is, is you know maybe maybe something he'd look at. But I, you know, with the the what I'd imagine Burnley's budget is going to be next season, which is you know better than last year. And I think he likes the group he's built here. And I think as well, you know that he's. I don't think he really wants to spend a lot of money. Um, Maybe that's not a good thing. You have money to spend in January. Exactly. You know, that couldn't or wouldn't. There perhaps, that, you know, obviously, we do know from what, what Lee Hughes told us that, you know, there were several deals that we we had lined up, we thought we were going to get across the line, but other factors meant that, you know, it didn't work out. Um, but, you know, you do wonder whether there was maybe other deals that we, we didn't end up putting in place because, the you know, the, the money wasn't right or, you know, some other factor that, that didn't work out because you know we know that there was money there to spend and you know people can talk all the time about the board not opening the checkbook but you know when there's budget left over and it's, it's not been spent I don't think you can really have a big go at the board and you know there's nothing to say as well that while you know they put a budget out there if Dash had turned to the board and said you know this player's become available you know for whatever reason he's perfect fit for us and I think he could keep us up you know I'm, I, don't, I wouldn't rule out entirely that the board are up in the checkbook at that point um, but I mean, as far as as far as Premier League teams, 
looking for him. Um, you got to think that you know maybe Villa would be interested um, since you know Sherwood doesn't doesn't stay because he's a he's an interesting manager. I think Tim Sherwood that I'm not sure whether he's ever going to have any uh, you know real long tenures anywhere because he seems to lose his way after a little while. Could just end up being a specialist firefighter, couldn't he? Come in, look at players. You know, particularly since he, he doesn't really seem to be the brightest bulb in the box, does he? <laughs> that's, that's very, uh, yeah, that's one way of putting it. You know, what, what has he said about newspapers? He looks up for the pictures or something. Uh, <laughs> He's a throwback he showed. I quite like him. He's grown up, mate. I mean, I, yeah, I quite. I, I, the only reason I never liked him as a player was because he played for Blackburn. But, um, but, you know, there's, there's them and, you know, Sunder and Newcastle, if they stay up, you know, he, Newcastle, I don't think are going to stick with um, you know the guy in charge right now because they've been in free for all since Christmas. That's so they're definitely. That's coach in the world, John Carver. He says so himself. Yeah, well, maybe he's okay at coaching, but he can't manage, can he? <laughs> that's that's the obvious response, um, Jordan. If we come back to you, what sort of jobs do you think might come up? What what do you think Dash would be looking for if he was to go? And what what the Burnley need to do to convince him to stay? Because you've got to assume that the board will want him here at the club next season. There was a comment on Twitter suggesting that he should get a pay rise. I thought it was a bit strange, but it should certainly be trying to extend that contract, maybe. Pay rise would be rewarding failure, in my view. So I wouldn't give him a pay rise, but maybe a new contract. Yeah, um, I certainly think just because um, there's a chance that Dyche could go, I don't think he necessarily will. I mean, you know, I'd love him to stay, don't get me wrong, but as you've said, it wouldn't be the end of the world if he was to go. Um, in terms of new jobs, um, I don't know really. I mean, I would have I would have said Derby to be honest, just because they're challenging at the top end of the Championship and they've probably got a bit more money to throw at it than ourselves. But I don't think anywhere like Newcastle, perhaps because Mark Ashley just seems to want to hire a, a yes man up there, and whilst he employs other people to take control of things like transfers and and whatnot, you know, I, don't, I think that would restrict Dutch. Um So I don't know. I'd, I'd probably say. You know his level is maybe top end championship um, or or bottom of Premier League really, um, but I think you know his qualities are, are evident. You know the sort of uh, allowing players to express themselves. Um, you know he's got a set way of playing. I think that that suit most teams. Um, so I don't know. I, I probably can't really think of any clubs off the top of my head, but I'd just probably say generally top end championship because. Um, you know, he's got a decent record in the championship. You know, he, he uh, consolidated our place there before taking us up, and then he did okay Watford as well prior to that. So um, that's where I think his next job will come from. Um, but um, yeah, I wouldn't, I would certainly won't grumble if he was in charge of us um, come come August when we play our first game of the championship. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because Dash strikes me as very much a pragmatist. He understands that um, things can change very quickly in football. Obviously. Uh, perception was that he'd done quite well at Watford and he lost his job through basically no fault of his own because they changed ownership um, at Burnley the first few months were extremely rough, there was a lot of pressure a lot of questions being asked about Dash, not necessarily about his future but certainly people wondering if he was the right man, if he was good enough we were asking similar questions on the website before obviously last season he proved us all wrong and made us all a bit silly but I'm sure if, if, we were, if he was to stay and we started next season badly there would be pressure on him again and Dash will know that maybe he'll see it as an opportunity to have a clean start somewhere else um, Robbie if I give you the final word on this what's, what's your gut feeling do you think Dash is going to be around next I think he'll be gone personally I, I look into those comments and I, I, like Jay's mentioned before he's leaving his options open and he, I think Sean that's always in, has always kind of in, encouraged players to be committed and I think the fact that he's not really done that I just 
don't feel very confident he'll be at Turf War next season, unfortunately. I'd love him to stay, though. Remains to be seen, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Maybe um, Dash will be a bit more forthcoming in the, the next couple of weeks. Obviously, two more games to go before the end of the season. But I think from the Cubs' point of view, um, it needs to be resolved, doesn't it, as, as quickly as possible into the course season. We don't want it dragging on and affecting pre-season. It needs to be sorted. And if he is going to go, we need time to bring in a replacement. But I'm sure the club has planned ahead for that. Lee who's I know, has a file managers that he keeps up to date. So hopefully he's going to be looking into that foot, that file in the next few weeks. So he is prepared if a vacancy does come up. Yeah, I saw the file myself. It's very big. <laughs> but yeah, he wouldn't show me any of the names, unfortunately. But there is... Um, there is some sort of plan in place at least, so we won't be scrabbling around and ending up with something like period. Um, anyway, the main thing I wanted to do on tonight's podcast is talk about key moments, turning points in the season. What what happened that could have made it all gone wrong? Is like a parallel reality out there where something happened slightly different and we ended up staying up, or something that really had a big impact on our season? Everyone that's on the podcast today has prepared their own key moment. We'll start with Jordan. What do you think was the, the big turning point in our season? Um, I think the key moment or key moments uh, of our season were the three games, uh, the back end of January and the beginning of February, where we played Crystal Palace at home, uh, Sunderland away and West Brom at home. Um, I hope I'm allowed three moments of the season, but for me, that's sort of the, the key. Well, I um, don't really have a choice, my dear. I'm just carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> You're bending the rules, but I'll let you off. Yeah, uh, thanks. Um, yeah, it, just that uh, two or three week period where um, the, the two games, the two home games against Palace and West Brom were obviously massive disappointments because... To go two 0 up, to be two 0 up at half time in those games, and then surrender those leads and come away with just a point uh, from a possible six, I think that really sort of um, wasn't a, uh, a precursor of what was to come, but certainly brought us back down to earth. Because I think up to that point we'd had a decent January, we'd, we'd uh, well decent, sorry, back end of 2014 and then beginning of the year where we'd got a point at City, we'd come back three times at Newcastle, we'd beat QPR. Um, uh, so yeah, it was it was just so disappointing. I mean, Palace and West Brom were sort of riding on the crest of that new managerial uh, wave that that clubs often get, where a new boss comes in and, and suddenly they revitalise. And we played, I think, Pardew in his first um, Premier League game in charge, and you know, at two 0 up, we went into a you know a really good lead. We looked solid, um, we looked good, but then we just seemed to capitulate. And I, I, I can't really put my finger on why it happened in, in those two games, to be honest. Um, you know, players and managers will will say that they try the best to, to guard against complacency, but I almost think it's sort of a natural reaction because you know you're two 0 up, um, you've had a, you've had a bit of a decent run, you're two 0 up against um, a team in and around you. I think it's quite natural to sort of maybe think, well, not to actively ease off, but somewhere in the back of your mind, perhaps you might start to do things you wouldn't normally do if you were if you were looking for a goal, if you were searching for a way back into the game. Um, but yeah, those two leads were were obviously. Um, you know, horrendous to give up really because at any level, uh, people will say you can't afford to do that, and especially at the Premier League level where you can get punished. Um, and then the Sunderland game as well. Um, you know, in the middle of that was poor because I think that just generally we weren't at our best. We we're far from it, as I mentioned earlier. The the uh, ing speculation seemed to affect him, according to Dyche. So probably those three games against teams that at the time were in and around us. Um, certainly winnable, um, and we just seem to let it, you know, pass us by. And I think we've we've done well against the bigger teams, um, you know, in around the Europa League places. And obviously, the win against City or four points off them this season. But 
it's against the teams in around you that, that you need to be getting the, the points off and it's only Hull you could probably say we've really done that against this season um, so yeah I would say that, that two or three week patch where we, we just didn't get uh, the job done and get ourselves over the line That's really true I think one of the big disappointments for me is that you're right we seem to have played our best football against the better sides the two games against City the draw at Chelsea even losing at Old Trafford I thought we were fantastic that night and it was only defending set pieces that stops us winning that game um, on the Palace game I think um, one thing to pick up was that Pardew made a big tactical change he moved the players around and he put punching in the hole and we didn't deal with that at all and that, that for me was, was why we lost that game the West Brom game of course was when Di Marnie got injured I think that was a real pivotal moment in the season um, Robbie if we bring you in next what, what's your turning point hopefully you've only got one unlike Jordan who's fighting the rules <laughs> Well, you both kind of floated around with my um, my turning point. It was the uh, I was going to say when we beat Man City at home. You no, know, you, you when we beat Man City at home, I think a lot of people would have tipped us to stay up, and I, I think a lot of fans leaving the stadium would have gone, "Yeah, we're going to we're going to stay in this league. We're going to survive." And never even we couldn't even create a chance after that, let alone score a goal in the over nine ten games. So it was a little bit of a I, I don't know how to say it, a little bit of a bad thing in the end that we beat Man City. We don't know what would have happened if we would have lost the game. But like was like what Jordan said when he when he mentioned the the West Brom games and the Palace games when teams are in and around you. It's a bit of a cliche in football when you say um, if you beat the teams in and around you, and then if you just get the odd bonus point again, you know the so-called bigger sides, then it's just going to be a bonus. But if there's no point big, beating the bigger sides if you're not going to beat the teams in and around you. It's an odd one, isn't it? Because obviously all games are the same, but the old six-pointer argument, if you beat a team that's around you in the league, you're taking points that they can't win as well. So it's, it's tricky, I think. That, that City game was a, a really good example, wasn't it, of, of an occasion where we lifted our game and we maybe performed um, better than our capabilities almost. I can't think of a better way to put it than that. George Boyd obviously scored a wonderful goal and hasn't really done much since. It's maybe a an after-the-Lord Mayor's show kind of thing that seems to have lasted for, for two months almost, that we played so well on that night. And I, I agree with you, Robbie. After that game, I was convinced that we were going to stay up. I thought we'd get a couple more wins and we'd be away, but it didn't turn out that way at all, did it? Um, James, we'll come to you next then. What was your turning point? Um, for me, I'd probably say... Um, though, actually, I forgot about the Dave Morning one, by the way, because originally I thought that was definitely as well good. But after after I calmed down from being melodramatic and we played okay, um, I'd say the turning point was actually the Spurs game at home. Um, you know, I thought they were pretty dire, and to, to not get more out of that, I think that was the moment I thought actually we might get real good. Because up until then, I'd sort of, I still had the confidence that we could avoid the drop, particularly because I thought we were going to pick up something against um, you know one of Spurs or Arsenal because we tend to turn up in the big games, like obviously the City game uh, not long before showed. But when that didn't materialise, um, you know, I felt a bit uneasy about the games that had come. And obviously, once we didn't beat Leicester as well, that was kind of that was kind of it for us. Yeah, the Spurs game was such a letdown because, as you say, they were bad on the day, and, and I thought we played quite well. But it was that yeah, you know, because that... wasn't it? We didn't really create much. We didn't really have. A yeah, season. I mean, you particularly look back and you see that early chance for Danny Ings where he's through one yeah. with Vaughan. And, you know, in that position, you've got to make the keeper work. And, you know, if he'd made the keeper work and, you know, there's a save pulled off, you wouldn't be looking back at it the same way as you do now, which is that it was pretty pretty dire, really. Yeah, well, I've, I've already mentioned the Marnie uh, injury, which I, I do think was key. I think it wouldn't necessarily have stayed up if Dean Marnie hadn't got injured, but I think we'd have had a lot better chance. I think Scott Arfield's been a bit overawed, oh. maybe, it's fair to say. And David Jones, I think, has struggled as well in the last few weeks without um, his regular partner. 
And the other one I was tying with was actually the Villa game at home where I felt we were second best for a lot of the game, but came back into it at the end, had two fantastic chances after equalising. Lucas Yupford somehow missed the header from a couple of yards out. I still don't understand how he missed it. Maybe that could have been a big turning point, not just for, for Burnley, but for the Duke, who obviously hasn't scored all season and he's, he's found it tough. But maybe if he'd got one, might have got a few more, who knows. Um, but for me, it was actually the transfer deadline day. Obviously, I've been on this sort box quite a lot, but I'm still a bit... Um, I, I don't know how to describe it. I'm just baffled that we let the whole transfer window go without bringing anybody into the club. Michael Keane's deal was obviously converted into a permanent transfer, which everyone hopes and expected was going to happen. But to let Shalabar go, fair enough, he didn't play a lot, but he was the only midfield cover we had. To bring nobody in, I just feel like that was... Um, a really key moment and it, it just showed for me that the club wasn't really cut out for the Premier League. I think we had to get someone in that night. Graham Dorans was the one everyone was talking about. I think Dorans had been a fantastic signing. Obviously we couldn't get it done. It seems like West Brom just had it in for us all season. Everything <laughs> everything against West Brom's just gone wrong. Obviously we got battered at their place. They came back and got points at ours. Um, they wouldn't sell us Dawson in the summer either. It just seems like they've been trying to relegate and, and, they've, and they've got all their own way but I think deadline day was crucial. I think everyone expected us to do some business, two or three deals maybe. We were doing the blog, we were on Twitter doing live tweets and everyone was just hoping and expecting something was going to happen and for it not to, I just think that left an air of despondency over the fans. Maybe that went through to the players as well. It could have been a lift to get somebody in and really make a difference and I think Marnie's injury compounded that. The fact that we've been playing the last few weeks with Arfield and Jones in midfield, I think that's not been good enough you you can't not have a specialist midfielder and I think that has maybe been decisive I think we had to bring somebody in and to then sign Freddie Ulverstad a untested Norwegian kid who hasn't had his boots dirty yet I think that was just taking the piss really anyway we should move on because I'm getting myself <laughs> angry ranting about all this um, we'll move on and look ahead to the Stoke game Burnley are obviously relegated normally you'd say this this is a opportunity to experiment and maybe use some other players dash isn't that sort of manager um what do you think is going to happen at the weekend james stoker playing quite well actually they've got top half finish in their sights burnley maybe with the shackles off will we see a bit more experimentation a bit more attacking maybe another goal i don't, I don't know to be honest i just want us to score because i'm going to be there so <laughs> a goal would be nice. It has been a long I'd like, time. I'd like to see a goal. I can't remember the last time I saw a goal now. The last time I saw a goal scored against us. <laughs> I went to three games in a row within a week and didn't see a goal. I think the Arsenal, Spurs, and Everton games, we didn't score in any of them. Yeah. So. Last time I saw a score. So, yeah, I'd, I'd really like to see a score. That'd be nice. Um, you well, know, just, we don't ask for much here at all now. We just want a goal. <laughs> you know, and maybe try a few things. Maybe, you know, get Ulfersed's boots dirty to. Please you. Um, Don't be tired. <laughs> because at this point, you, you know, you might as well give a few people who've maybe not been, uh, you know, first team regulars a, a run out. Um, because I don't really think it's, especially against Stoke, a Stoke win's not going to change anyone's fortunes, is it? So, you know, I don't think you can really be seen as being disrespectful to the league. Um, you know, maybe if you're going up against one of the top teams and it was tight for the title and not already settled, you could maybe make a case that you've got to put your best side out because. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the you know the spirit the game should be played in. But you know the Stoke game, there's nothing really at stake for either team now. Um, so you we, know, we I don't need to try and not finish on the bottom. I think that'd be nice if we can finish above QPR. I think yeah, I think it'd be nice to finish obviously like we did last time, third bottom. Um, to be honest, with the way QPR limped out, I think finishing above them shouldn't really be an issue. 
Yeah, they're not on the game. You know, and isn't it the case that they've got like the sixth highest wage bill or something in the league? I saw something about that, but I think um, I read something like that. It was in single digits anyway. So, you yeah, know, the figures are difficult because they only tend to find the account, so it tends to be the previous year's data. Yeah, but I mean, if they are in the top ten, the the way they've played, I mean, most of them might as well retire now because. They didn't have an ounce of fight in them. And I think when it gets to the, the point... People suggesting Carl Henry and Joey Barton to come to us. Well, I won't touch either of them with a bad ball. They're not good and they're horrible. No, I won't because, uh, you know, some players are, you know, not very nice as people. Yeah, but you still have them. And you think, well, you know, he's worth the, the hassle because he's actually really good at football. But Joey Barton just loves himself on and off the pitch, doesn't he? And... I don't think that's the kind of player that, you know, says Burnley to me. Um, so, no, I can't see us touching anything, especially not with the money they're going to be paid there because, you know, they hand out contracts for, like, 100k a week, like candy, don't they? So, um, we'll be, you know, 100k is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, big contracts for... I'd be amazed if either of them were even on our radar. Um, Jordan, if we can come back to the, the score game, because we did go off on a little bit of a tangent and complain about QPR spending a lot of money there. Um, like I say, Dash not one for changing the team up, but surely it's a chance for I don't know players like Kiteley to get a run out. Michael Kiteley, the forgotten man. Um, I thought it was good to see Stephen Ward at the weekend because I've got this big thing about Stephen Ward being a very important player. He's got an excellent points per game ratio, which is um, a stat I like bringing out, which he improved by taking part in another win. Do you think Dash will give a few other players a run out, or is it going to be the, the same eleven? Uh, I think that Stephen Ward comment is just actually. Can I change my, my turning point of the season and say this the uh, moment Stephen Ward got injured? That about seven different. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the, the Stephen Ward injury has been quite underestimated in terms of our importance. Um, no, um, well, I think there's a difference between what I'd like to see against Stoke and what Darch will do. I think you know he'll he'll want to win these remaining two games, and a manager would in this situation. So I think he'll continue to to put out a similar sort of side that has been in recent weeks. But you know, if it were me, I'd I'd like to say put Cartley in. Who, I'd forgotten about and you know I think we paid what was it one and a half two million pounds for him in the summer um, played a big part yeah he, um, he, he played a big part in our promotion push uh, last year obviously and it's just you know bizarre I, I mean he, he does blow hot and cold admittedly but um, you know surely it would have been worth a try out in, in one of the uh, the last few games but um, there you go it'd be nice to see him sort of you know um, giving a run out again and, and let fans know that he's still alive and well um, I think um, as you say maybe Ulverstad and I think it's sort of the almost customary now that when a team's fate has been sealed that the, the, the fans cry out to see some youth in the side but I don't think that will happen and um, I'm I'm going to stay away from doing that I've done in previous years but um, yeah, obviously, if if we were to, which I can't see us doing, maybe someone like Stephen. Math, actually, I think Stephen Hewitt's out on loan, isn't he, at the minute? Um, um, he was out on loan because he scored a very good goal recently. But yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing it. Um, yeah, well, maybe we could recall him for this last game and just put him in and see how he does. But um, no, I think yeah, Dad should just go with with the same team as it has been. Um, I think just slightly going off subjects, looking ahead to next season, um, if we do go down, I think the good thing is that We've our already, team. I don't is... want to break it to you, Jordan, but we have been relegated. <laughs> that, oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> in, ter- in terms of um, coming back up, then we've obviously got a similar sort of team what we've had, um, you know, last year and, and this year. So um, yeah, I, I can't see Dutch particularly pointing to the future. I just think he'll put similar sort of team out there as done over the past few weeks and 
and go for it. But it would be nice to see some changes. Uh, well, well, we'll talk more about the future on um, future Northern Ireland podcast. We'll have a couple more to go with Hulton. Um Robbie, come back to you then. You same James Jordan expecting some more side. Would you be one for freshening it up a bit as players that we've we've barely seen for weeks, months, really? Yeah, it'll be the same team again. It always is, and I think Sean Dash will do his usual his usual cruel stuff and get a player ready to get him stripped and ready to come on and then just banter him off and then just say, no, nah, go sit down, mate, like he usually does. <laughs> Someone on Twitter said that Michael Kyrie should get an assist for the goal that we kept because he was about to come on and then got told to sit down when we scored. <laughs> James, will start with you. Give us a prediction for Burnley Stoke at the weekend then. 4-0. Only 4-0? That's, that's quite negative. You went 5-0 last weekend. Yeah, well, look how that turned out. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to bring it down a little bit. Baby steps. <laughs> four Scored goals. One. That's, um, yeah, that's, that's four, I think. That's, um, yeah. Jordan. Um, I'm going to go for uh, a one-all draw. One-all draw. What about you then, Robbie? You get the last one? Uh, I think we'll get beat one nil. Great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, agree, I agree with Jordan. I think it might be a draw. Um, so that is about... It for this week's podcast. Hopefully, um, you've all enjoyed it. Please take it in touch with any feedback as normal. Email address is podcast at knowingever.net. Tweet us as well at knowingever.net. Thanks to our sponsors at Neville G, without whom we couldn't do the podcast or the website or anything like that. There's loads and loads of good stuff on the site this week. Marking our relegation, I've done a piece, Five Reasons Why We've Gone Down, um, which you can all point out is blatantly obvious. Steve Kelly's done a really good piece about Dash saying that he's not blameless but should still be at the club and he's made a really good case for why we should try and keep Dash and there's a couple of pieces by Robbie and Jordan about um, Danny Ings and his future and how he's still committed to the club so do give it a reading let us know what you think um, but yeah that's about it for this week's podcast we will be back next week to talk about hopefully another goal hopefully another win against Stoke so that's it thanks to James, Robbie and Jordan for joining me and we'll be back next week bye Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.